Welcome to On The Wire with Fred Finch Youth and Family Services. I'm Marcus Young, your host for today's show. We started this podcast as a way to share stories, experience, and knowledge gained from more than a century of helping disadvantaged young people and their families. Our staff of clinicians and mental health professionals offers unconditional care, support, and opportunity to youth and their families who face complex challenges. The challenges our families face are many. They include mental and emotional disorders, drug and alcohol addiction, discrimination, poverty, developmental disability, trauma, and abuse. But the goal is the same, to support the individual and family on their journey to a healthy, satisfying, productive life in the community. In this ongoing series, we will speak with our experts, clinicians in the field, and youth in our programs about the challenges and successes of our organization. In honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, we are starting our program by speaking with Dr. Teresa Chapa, Fred Finch Vice President of Southern California Operations, to discuss the state of mental health in the Latinx community. Approximately 30% of the young people and families Fred Finch serves annually are Latinx. Latinx families suffer from the same mental health illnesses as the rest of the U.S. population. But add to that stresses for many of low wages or loss of work due to the pandemic, racism, and for undocumented immigrants the threat of deportation. Still others have experienced trauma and violence in their home countries and now find themselves in unsafe neighborhoods in the U.S. where they continue to live in fear. Despite all of this, most in the Latinx community do not receive mental health care. In fact, two-thirds of the Latinx population who need mental health treatment never get it. That's millions of people falling through the cracks. In young people, the repercussions are especially dire. The pandemic and crackdown on undocumented immigrants have not only heightened mental health issues, but have created more barriers to getting help. Now, a little bit about our guest, Dr. Chava. She grew up in Venice Beach, Los Angeles, when the modest bungalows were just that, not multi-million dollar real estate sought after by Hollywood stars and tech moguls. Her neighborhood was mostly Mexican-American. Some had immigrated recently from Mexico, but many were the children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren of immigrants. Her neighborhood was a microcosm of much of the Latinx community throughout the country at the time. We grew up more first, second, third generation. Um, And what's happened over the past 20 plus years is a large influx of newcomers and newer immigrants. So in many ways, it's kept the culture alive and more vibrant. We see lots of expressions of that with Frida Kahlo, Diego Rivera, the art scene, clothing, embroidery. It's interesting how that part of the the culture, food, clothing, colorfulness, Day of the Dead, artists, has been embraced, but our people have not really been embraced. Is it I find that very strange a strange juxtaposition. Why do you suppose that is? Teresa? It's historical from the time when Mexico, you know, lost the land and became part of the U.S. There's always been that struggle of, do you really belong here? Is this really your land? And it's also our struggle in trying to maintain our culture, our language. I mean, I could say prejudice, racism, and all of those things as well, which I do believe are true, but there's a deep historical context particularly with Mexico and the U.S., less so with some of the other countries. But now coming in, they're experiencing some of the same types of discrimination. 
that we have. As Dr. Chapa points out, racism against Latinx is not new. It has reached a crescendo with the hateful rhetoric, border wall scheme, and the cruel treatment of undocumented immigrants and refugee seekers. What has changed is the origin of the Latinx immigrant. Many more indigenous Mexicans have come to the U.S., as well as Central Americans fleeing violence from a drug war. The continued steady immigration is in part why Latinx are now the largest minority population in the United States. 61 million strong, making up 18.5% of the U.S. population. Latinx are also younger, with a median age of 30 compared to 44 for whites. I would say that the lay of the land for our communities is like any other community. There's still a need. You're going to have children who have, you know, they have autism or they're on the spectrum or they have any of the four outstanding mental health conditions that are common in children, anxiety, depression, um, suicidality, etc. The difference is that our community doesn't typically have access to getting the care they need. And oftentimes there's a lack of literacy on what mental health conditions might look like or be or where to go or how to go about seeking help. So there, there's a number of factors that go into making this a disparity. The issue of access is complex, and as Chapa explains, requires layered solutions. The most difficult to tackle is growing the pool of mental health clinicians, especially in areas with large Latinx populations. The most typical barriers are just the lack of services and the lack of of providers. And there are very few, if any, bilingual providers. When you do have services, oftentimes there are these long wait lists that get in the way and as you know when it took up when it took you a lot of courage to get to the phone and call for a service what we've noticed here and what we're looking at is also hours of operation if we're seeing people in their homes or online or in the clinic we want to be available to people who can maybe come in on a saturday morning i know that doesn't fit you know, into the Monday through Friday paradigm. But people today are working multiple jobs, different shifts, and how are they going to get in to get the care that they need? Health insurance is also a barrier for many, particularly undocumented immigrants. Many people who are here, who are immigrants, are uninsured. And as recent as Like a couple of weeks ago, I got a call from somebody who runs a national Hispanic organization who says he's getting hundreds and hundreds of calls a day from people who are desperate because of COVID and there's no one to talk to. They can't afford them. They're on wait lists. All of the things that I mentioned as barriers are preventing them from getting care. Along with these obstacles, language continues to be a struggle for both the clinical staff as well as the clients. As Teresa says, it's an ongoing problem facing the mental health industry as a whole, especially as it relates to the Latinx community. Not having the language is one of the most essential problems that we face. Because how do you know what's being said? And when you use an interpreter, which is second best, it's better than not having an interpreter and not speaking the language, um, you can miss a lot of nuance and we don't always know where the interpreter is from they could be from a different country a different background and not understand a lot of the uh, of what is being said the basic way i see this 
bridging is through extensive training and language preparation. And sometimes clinics or places like Fred Finch, we serve everyone. So we're not culturally specific, but we're trying desperately to provide that culturally responsive treatment for those individuals out there. In 2019, Fred Finch partnered with the National Hispanic Latino Mental Health Technology Transfer Center and San Diego State University to spearhead an all-day symposium about wellness in the Latinx children and families living along the border through culturally responsive treatment. Nearly 400 people attended, many of them researchers and practitioners from around the country who work on the border, some in ICE facilities. They were really able to bring to the audience some of the harsh realities of what's being seen. And everything that we talked about earlier, you know, trauma, depression, isolation, separation, is a hundred times stronger. Stigma presents another roadblock. Many in the Latinx community see mental illness as shameful or an issue for the curandero or healer. She sees the intersection of primary health and mental health care as a partial solution to this problem. So many people have a stigma with mental health and they look at mental health centers or seeking mental health as, you know, like this is, there's something wrong with me, I must be crazy. And most people go into see a primary care doc and they say, this is how I'm feeling, I'm not eating, or I can't get out of bed. They start talking about things that are mental health related And so that's a perfect site to really pick up those individuals that would not seek, not normally seek mental health services. So I see that as, you know, a perfect partnership. I also see mental health as a part of our overall health and health a part of mental health. So if we could, you know, remove those silos, I think we would serve the commu- our communities at large so much better. And particularly with um, some of the racial and ethnic minority communities because um, of the tremendous amount of stigma and fear of being seen. I'm walking into a mental health clinic. So we've seen um, integrated care and primary care as the vehicle for early diagnosis and delivering mental health services as successful. In other words, break down the silos of care so primary care physicians are able to recognize mental health and developmental disorders and refer their patients to the appropriate providers. When the pediatrician or general practitioner fails to do that, issues can cascade, leading to lost years where the individual could have been receiving treatment. Say you have a child that's exhibiting signs of something, perhaps the signs of autism, That child will typically not receive an assessment or a diagnosis or an intervention in a timely manner. In fact, typically we want to see those children before age three, and at age three they get a diagnosis, but a lot of Latino kids don't even get noticed as having difficulty until kindergarten. So they've lost time in being able to receive an evidence-based assessment and intervention that might have changed the, the course of their trajectory, that, that means, you know, like the earlier you get care or the earlier you receive treatment and that your family understands what's going on, the better your outcomes are. Yet Teresa says even this model will not do much good if the primary care physicians detect mental and developmental issues but have nowhere to refer their patients. 
To solve this problem, the scarcity of mental health clinicians must be addressed, with an eye toward the cultural and language needs of the Latinx population. We're currently experiencing across the board a mental health workforce shortage, and that's because people are aging out of the profession and fewer people are coming into the profession. Lots of reasons behind that. Money, investment are two key reasons. But when it comes to working with the Latinx community, we have even a larger shortage, like exponentially larger. And when it comes to Latinx who are fully bilingual, even bigger. California has taken this on to a big degree and started looking at all of the professions, including psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, counselors, etc. And they're looking at who speaks Spanish because Spanish is the number one language of need, followed by a couple others, but it is the number one language where we need culturally competent and bilingual providers. So what we're looking at is how to build that cadre of Latinx providers. And in in doing that, of course, you have to look at who can even, who's going to college, who could be inspired from high school to go to college, and who could help those kids through mentoring, through special programs, through incentive scholarships, loan repayment, help individuals through this long, long, many years of training. Now, if you go through a master's program, you're looking at minimally six years of training to become a master's level clinician. Then you go for licensing. It's a huge time investment and a huge economic investment. And as we know today, school costs a lot of money. I think as time goes on, there are going to have to be some societal changes where there's parity in pay, not just access to care, so that your investment is worthwhile. There also needs to be more opportunities for mental health providers who are interested in serving the Latinx community but are not bilingual to become fluent in Spanish. Most immersion programs are in other countries, which can be a barrier, but immersion and training can happen within communities in the U.S., she says. I think we could do that at the, at the local level, in some of our communities that are highly monolingual and have a high need. So it's just a matter of working closely with some of our academic institutions and places like Fred Finch and creating that opportunity where people can come in and get that more intense language and cultural training. And we do have that here, which is quite exciting. It's on a smaller scale, but we do have it. We actually even provide clinical supervision in Spanish, only Spanish, no English, no bilingual, no translation. So it really keeps you on your toes when you, as you progress in the language and serving people. The pandemic has exacerbated mental health issues while creating more barriers to getting help. Kids are not attending school in person, making it less likely teachers will identify mental health struggles their students are having. Fred Finch often receives mental health referrals from schools with much of the counseling done at school sites. Kids are also less likely to see a primary care doctor at this time, another lost opportunity for detecting a potential mental illness. But there has been an unexpected upside to the pandemic, telehealth. When pandemic social distancing guidelines were put in place, 
Medi-Cal, the health insurance for most Fred Finch participants, changed its policy. It began to reimburse for remote sessions by phone or video chat. Fred Finch quickly transitioned to providing most services remotely. What we learned, especially for our Latinx families, is that they really loved it. They loved the transition. They didn't have to come in. They didn't have to break in between their second job. They didn't have to wait for somebody to drive out an hour to see them. They didn't have to have somebody in their house when they were afraid maybe to get the virus. So providing this service using a smartphone was very helpful to them and successful for us. Teresa is hoping the silver lining will continue to be offered and used to expand services in rural areas where therapists can be scarce. But that will depend on whether Medi-Cal rolls back the provision once social distancing is no longer necessary or makes the change permanent. This has been On the Wire with Fred Finch. To learn more about our programs, visit us online at fredfinch.org. That's F-R-E-D-F-I-N-C-H dot O-R-G. Our show is produced by Sarah Krupp and Julie Henderson. Our sound engineer is James Good. I'm your host, Marcus Young. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.